But here's what we said. We said this is a movement with God at the center, meaning it's all about God. It's for God. He's the reason why. With God in the lead, he's the one that is leading and guiding us. He's the one that is with us to accomplish this. With dependence on God, knowing that God is the one that gives us the strength and the wisdom and the know-how to be able to accomplish it and what to do. And with the results left up to God. Whatever, God, whatever it is that you want, this is your movement. This isn't us. This isn't a movement just for the sake of a movement. This is a movement for you and about you, and we leave the results up to you. So now over the last few weeks, we've been giving you specific areas. That, and we said that a movement happens because of a lot of, of little decisions that we make, even on a daily basis. And so we've been talking about those little decisions that we can make every day, just to, to, to press in to know God, to make that a priority in our life to focus on building community, to grow in relationship together, knowing that we accomplish this together, not single-handedly. And then last week, we talked about the importance of generosity, that we be led by our generosity, that we look for opportunities to bless other people because God has been generous to us. Now, tonight, we're gonna talk about that fourth thing, this, this last thing that we're gonna talk about and what this movement needs to be about and uh, to go back to Natalie's video, man, I love Natalie's video. I love having a chance to hear her story and to see what God has done in her life and through her life over the last year. And as I was watching that video, there was a line that she said that maybe some of you guys caught. She said this. She said, I realized my life didn't have to be broken. And I wonder for maybe for how many of us in the room, maybe you're in the room tonight and you've walked in and that would be a word that you would use to describe your life, full of brokenness. That how many of us in the room that have trusted Christ have realized and come to that moment where we've said, my life doesn't have to be broken anymore. I don't have to live in this sin. I don't have to be held captive by the sin and by these things that go on. I can experience freedom in Christ. God can make me new. That, that phrase that she used sounds in a lot of ways like what Jesus said in John 8, 12. And here's what he said to the people. He said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk around in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. That was what Jesus was all about. Jesus was going to people and saying, look, you don't have to be broken anymore. I am the light of the world. I have come to free people and bring people out of the darkness into the light that I offer. That's why he came. So the world didn't need another moral teacher or another good person to have some quotes that we could use later on. What the world needed was a savior. What Jesus came to do was to do the only thing, to do what only he could do, and that was to bring about freedom in our life. And Jesus accomplished that mission that he was about. He gave up his life. He freed you and me from the sin that, cap that held us captive. And he offered us life and freedom and forgiveness. So the question is tonight, and where we're gonna pick up right now, is what about us? If that's what Jesus was about, what role do we play in all of this? What is, what is God asking of us if we've received the forgiveness that God's offered? In Ephesians chapter, one, five and two, uh, chapter five, verse one and two, here's what, here's what Paul says. He says, be imitators of God 
Therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, I love that phrase, be imitators of God. I love how Paul said to imitate God. And there, that, that word imitate means to reflect, to act like, to behave in accordance, in accordance to that person that you're watching. I mean, I think in a lot of ways of, of my two sons and how my, my youngest, man, he imitates everything his older brother does. And sometimes that's a great thing and sometimes that's a really bad thing. But he, I mean, he, he wants to do everything that his brother does. To, almost to the point of annoyance, like, bro, you can, you can choose what you want. You don't have to pick what your brother is picking. But I love that phrase, be imitators of God. And what Paul is telling us is that we have a calling and an opportunity and a responsibility to imitate Jesus, to act like Jesus, to live like Jesus lived. So if Jesus' mission was about bringing, setting the captives free and shining a light into the darkness for those that are living in sin, then for us, that calling is the same. God has called us to help free the captives. God has called us to shine a light into the darkest parts of our world and help bring people into the light. You guys would be surprised the number of, of people that I'm told I look like, all right? Um, I've been told, now just, just go with me here. I've been told by people over the years that I look like Justin Timberlake. And some of you guys are laughing, I know. I mean, it's, it's kind of humorous, and it's almost embarrassing that Justin could be compared to me. Like, what's up with that? I mean, how insulting to me that people would say, Justin, you look like Todd Hampton. No, I'm not kidding you. Um, but I, I have been told that, all right? So people are like, hey, have, and, and usually it always starts with this, and I know I'm in trouble. They're like, has anyone ever told you? And then I know I'm about to get set up for you look like blah, 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 and then they just fill in the blank. But I swear to you, a couple months ago, I was at um, Five Below, we were getting ready for Rush, and I'm at the register, and the lady behind the register, I mean, swore to me. She's like, I literally thought that you were Justin Timberlake. I'm like, I mean, part of me is like, man, that's very flattering. I appreciate it, but look again, I'm no Justin Timberlake, you know? Um, but she was, I mean, I thought she was almost like not gonna let go of my hand, and you know, just, it started getting a little bit weird. I'm like, look, lady, here's my ID. I'm just a normal guy. Please let go of my hand. But I've been, I've been told that. Now, just so you know that there's no pride involved, and man, how arrogant is he? I have also been told that I look like Screech, All of you, all of you can shut your mouth right now. So, you know, I was in an event, you know, with a guy in a PA, in a PA announcer, and he's like, man, great shot, uh, Screech. And I'm like, what? dude, I'm going to come and smack you with that microphone. But I've been told, now how can this one person be compared, or be called Justin Timberlake and Screech? Like, once you've been called Screech, you have no pride left, all right? But I've been called that. I've also been called, um, some of you guys even in here have, have told me that I look like a guy from the Vampire Diaries. Um, this guy, I think. Who, I don't even know his name. He's just Vampire Diaries guy. Whatever his name is. So apparently I look like him, um, especially when I'm around candles. Um, 
Get this, I was told at Rush, and I think it was a middle schooler, we were, it was the night that we were out at the amphitheater and we were doing the, the acoustic worship, and a guy came up to me and he was like, has anyone ever told you that you look like Patrick Swayze? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, how in the world, I've never heard that before in my life, that's, that I look like Patrick Swayze. But, um, I, I mean, I know I've got a tan like him, but um, I've never been told that. Um, on Sunday, Sunday night, we're hanging out at the, at the anniversary thing, and this older guy comes up, and he's like, hey, man, has anyone ever told you? I'm like, oh, crap. He says, you look like that guy from American Ninja Warrior. Which I guess is, there's a, this guy is a doctor. I had no idea what he was talking about. I'm like, dude, I have no idea what that is, if that's a good thing or a bad thing. So I looked it up, and apparently that's me um, in scrubs. So I've been told I look like that. Now, get this. I've, I've been told a few years ago, you know, we, we lived in Nashville for a few years, and, um, and I was told on several occasions that I looked like Dirks Bentley, if you guys are in, into country music especially when I wear plaid. So I'm, I was walking through the neighborhood at our old house and a neighbor came, came running up to me and, and I had sunglasses on. He took, I took him off and he's like, oh man, I'm sorry. Dude, I, I came running over because I, I could have sworn you were Dirks Bentley. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. So, so get this. Uh, a few years ago, some, uh, some buddies and I were hanging out at, at, at Chick-fil-A for lunch and um, Seems like that's where all my illustrations happen. So we're we're at Chick Fil A and we're eating lunch and I we, you know we walk up and we order and uh, and I tell the lady behind the register I'm like hey can I have some certain sauce or whatever and so and so she makes a comment to me she says yeah sure as long as I can have an autograph and um, and I kind of I didn't think anything of it I'm like oh yeah I'll give you an autograph whatever and so she gives me the sauce and I go sit down and I didn't think anything anything more. So a few minutes later, I walk back up to the counter, same lady, and I've got my, my cup, and I said, hey, can I have a refill of lemonade? And she says, yeah, sure, as long as I can have that autograph. And I thought, all right, hey, I'll give you an autograph. And so I, my wheel started turning, and I went back to the table, and I, I said, guys, I think that lady thinks I'm, that I'm somebody. I have no idea who she thinks I am, but I'm somebody to her, uh, enough that she wants my autograph. And so we start talking, and we realized that she thought I was Dirks Bentley, and um, and in the Chick-fil-A, there's all these country artists that have signed plaques and stuff like that. So we realize she, she wants an autograph. She literally thinks I'm Dirk Bentley. So I, I just resolve, resolve in my mind that I'm not going to go back up to her now. It's just weird if I'm like, hey, I'm sorry. I'm not who you think I am. So I'm just going to ignore it. I'm not going to talk to her. I'm not going to go back up. I'll go find another lady if I want more, more drink. And so we finish the meal. We get up, and I immediately kind of head over towards the door. And a couple of the buddies I was with went up to the counter to get refills. And she says, and she points at me from across the restaurant, and she says, man, that, he promised me that he would give me an autograph. And at this point, I'm like, what the heck, lady? So I said, look, I, I would, but I don't even have anything to, to autograph. You know, I don't have anything to sign. And she says, oh, that's no problem. And she, she reaches into the cabinet, and she pulls out, like, the receipt roll, and she rips off a piece of the receipt, and she says, here you go, just sign this. So at this point, I'm like, all right, do I tell her that I'm not Dirks Bentley, or do I just, so this is probably the wrong thing to do, but I just walk up, and I grab the pen, and I say, what's your name, sweetheart? 
And she says, Peggy or whatever. So I'm like, Peggy, God bless. And then I scribble what I think is Dirk's Bentley. And I hand her the receipt and I said, hey, have a great day. And then I walk out. And she probably to this day, you know, when people come over, company comes over to her, she's like, look, I met Dirk's Bentley and he gave me, he signed this receipt or something. So I, I literally have no idea how one person that so many people could think that I look like so many different people. I mean, how one person could look like, potentially, Justin Timberlake, but then also look like Screech. Like, how is that even possible that one person can look like all those different things? I wonder for us how many of us are guilty of this from a spiritual standpoint. What God calls us to to be is to be imitators of him. And yet, I wonder how many of us are guilty of imitating God in some moments, and yet to other people we look much different than what God's supposed to look like. How guilty are we sometimes where God says, look, this is a serious thing. I want you to imitate me. Live a life of love. Let everyone know that you represent what I'm all about. And there are days or moments where we we try to do a good job and maybe we, we succeed, And then there are other days where we fall far short of who we're supposed to imitate. And God calls us to be imitators of him. Do we understand and realize how important our role is to those who are broken and lost and hurting in our world? Here's what Isaiah 61.1 says. And this is the prophet Isaiah speaking of himself, but there's so many parallels to us. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. For the, Lord, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. Man, there are so many things that I believe that God is also calling us to, that this verse applies to who we are. What God is saying to us who belong to him, who have put our faith and trust in him, who have received the forgiveness that Jesus offers, is the the spirit of the Lord is upon you. God has anointed you, and he's anointed you to go and to set the captives free. He's, He's anointed you to go and to proclaim the good news everywhere you go, to let the people, the broken, the poor, the downcast, those who are hurting and struggling, those that have never experienced my love for them, I have anointed you and called you to be a light and to go tell them. And you guys, this room every single week needs to be more like a hospital than a country club. This needs to be a hospital. This needs to be a place where every single week there are broken, lost, hurting students who are far from God that are walking into those doors and into this room. This is never designed to be just a social gathering or just one of those places where just a bunch of Christians huddle together. You guys ever been into a country club or whatever where it just feels stuffy from the moment that you walk in, and if you dress different or you look different or whatever, I mean, you can tell really quick who belongs there and who doesn't. And so many times we're, we're guilty of when lost, hurting students walk in those doors, of making them feel like they've just stepped into a country club and they don't belong here. 
versus, versus welcoming them. I mean, the thing about a hospital is it doesn't mean how, matter how lost or messed up or you know, bleeding out that you are or whatever, how rough your situation is, they're gonna rush to the door and they're gonna, they're gonna help fix you. And if we have that mindset, if we, if we have that heart attitude towards everybody that walks in the room, then we're living the way that God's called us to live. There should be students walking in every single week and they're coming because you've invited them. They're coming because you know them. You have a relationship with them through school or through your neighborhood or through your work or whatever and you're saying, hey, you've gotta come and check this out because you know what they're going through. You know their situation. You know where they're at spiritually and you know that the one place you've gotta bring them to is here. That we make this a place where every single week there are students who are understanding and maybe for the first time coming face to face with the love that Jesus offers them. The main point for us tonight is that God uses rescued people to rescue people. God uses redeemed people, people like us, if we've received the forgiveness that Jesus has offered who once were broken, who once were lost, but we understand what God has done for us. And now we go and we do the same thing for other people. See, a movement of God always involves redeemed people bringing the sick to the great physician. Now, there's a process that we use, and we've been talking about this for the last year, of trying to help you guys, because it's, it's one thing to bring them to reckless, but we also wanna help equip you and train you to learn how to share your faith and how to lead people to faith in Jesus to where you're not dependent on me. I mean, that verse that says, God is not anointed reckless, even though God uses us and God uses me or whatever, but it's not just about us, it's about you. God has anointed you to go and to free the captives. So what we wanna be able to do is, is help provide you with a strategy that helps you understand, all right, if I've identified that person that God's calling me to reach, how do I go about doing that? Or how do I even discover who those people are that God's calling me to love? So we call it the blessed strategy. Uh, this is something that our church as a whole has done. And so maybe you guys are aware of this. Hopefully if you've been around for a little while, you know this. But, um, but this is the strategy that, that we use. So it's an acronym, BLESS. Here's the first one. The B is begin with prayer. It starts with prayer. We're praying for opportunities to bless other people. We're praying specifically for God to put those people on our hearts to make us aware of the needs and the opportunities and the situations and the people that desperately need to know that God loves them. So we start there, we begin with prayer. We say, God, would you give me wisdom? God, I don't really even know what to pray about. I'm not sure what, who you're calling me to reach, so God, would you just show that to me? God, I'm praying that you would put broken people in my path. God, I'm praying that you would allow me to have opportunities and relationships with people who don't know you that I, I could love and, and help them understand about your love for them. But it starts with prayer, begins with prayer. So many times we often pray as a last resort, but prayer is the key. Oswald Chambers said, prayer is not preparation for the work, prayer is the work. And Jerry Falwell says, nothing of eternal significance happens apart from prayer. So it starts there, we've gotta, we've gotta make sure that we're praying and asking God, to reveal those things to us. Then the second thing, the L, is to listen for God's direction. As we're praying for wisdom, as we're asking God to open up our eyes, 
then we're listening. Most of us, if we're honest, we're really good at talking, but we're terrible at listening. And sometimes we pray for things, and we pray for God to move, or we pray for situations, and then we get up and we go about our day and we forget all about those things that we're asking God for, or those things that we're, we're wanting him to reveal to us. And so th- what we've gotta do is cut out the noise and take a deep breath and say, God, would you help me to listen to, to your voice? And as you speak to me, as you reveal those situations or those people to me, God, would you help me to see it? I would bet quite honestly, if we were honest tonight, that all of us could identify people that we rub shoulders with every single day who are broken and lost and who are crying out for help. That if we just took the time to listen and to allow God to reveal and and make those make us aware of those situations, we wouldn't say, man, I don't really know anybody that I could reach, or I don't really know anybody that God's put on my heart, because we're not listening. And if we would just say, God, would you reveal it to me, and listen, and, and be, be aware of those things that God's revealing to us, then we would see those opportunities all around us. The third thing is the fun one, and that's eat. We get a chance to eat with them. Everybody loves to eat, Right? This is, the, this is the good part. Yeah, we love food. Yeah, give us food. So here's the crazy thing. Jesus was always eating with people, mainly because everybody had to eat. But he was always eating with people, primarily the people that were far from him, the people that didn't believe in him, the people that were trying to figure him out, those sinners, those people who were far from him. Those were the ones all the time that, that people were going, hey, why are you eating with those people? Why are you eating with such scum? Why are you eating with those sinners? Those were the people that Jesus was having meals with. Food is an important thing in our culture, right? The people, listen to me. Listen, over here. The people that we eat with communicates who we value. The people that you eat with at your lunch table Unless you've got assigned seats or something weird, you sit with the people, you sit with the people that you like, that you value, that you want to sit with. Who you sit with communicates who you value. How many of you guys go to a restaurant and you invite a bunch of people that you don't know? And you sit around a table and you just stare awkwardly at each other through the, through the whole meal. You you go out to restaurants and you eat with people, or you meet with meet at Starbucks and you have a coffee with people that you're in relationship with, people that you love, people that you care about, that you value. See, who we eat with or the people that we sit down with a meal or a coffee or whatever, those are the people that we, that we value. And what we have an opportunity to do as God lays those people on our heart, as God is showing us, man, this is who I'm calling you to reach. This is the individual that you've got a relationship with that no one else around you does, and I'm calling you to reach them then the next step is for us to invite them out to eat, all right? And not in a weird way, but say, hey, you wanna go grab Starbucks? Hey, you wanna go meet here? Hey, you wanna go grab, you know, Yogli Mowgli or whatever it is, but find an opportunity and, and buy them a coffee and just sit down with them and look for an opportunity to get to know them. See, the eating part of it is such a big deal because it gives us a chance to listen to their story. You get a chance over the course of a conversation 
to hear about their life, to learn about their situation, to learn about the things that they're, that they're going through, the things that they believe in and why they believe in those things. That's why this part is such a, 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 an important part of the process because that allows the walls to come down and for you just to get to know them and to communicate value in the process. Then the first S is, is serve them. As you get to know them, as you hear their story, as you listen to what they're going through and the things that are going on, then you're gonna, you're gonna be afforded opportunities to serve them. You're gonna be given chances to, to meet physical, practical needs in their life. You may hear about their family situation and some of the things they're going with or how they don't have enough money to provide groceries for their family and you, you see an, an opportunity to meet a need. When we go to, to Nicaragua, we don't just show up and start bashing people over the heads with Bibles and tell them that they're lost and they're going to hell <laughs> because you know, even in a third world country, that would tick off a lot of people. We go in and we, the first thing we do is we look for an opportunity to meet needs. We walk through the village and we go, man, that house is a complete disaster. And we gotta do something for this family. Man, this family literally hasn't eaten in three days. We've gotta give them some food. Or man, they don't have clean water to drink. Or man, they don't have this. Or man, they need you know, formula for their baby or whatever. I mean, there's all kinds of just simple practical needs and then we go and we, we purchase those things or we look for those opportunities and we go back and we bless that family. Why? Because it, it's a chance for us to communicate that God values them and he loves them. And when we serve people, we imitate God. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And so we get an opportunity to do the same thing. And then the last S is we get a chance to share your story. As you pray for opportunities, as you listen for God's direction, as God reveals those people that he's, that he's placed in your path, as you look for opportunities to eat with them and to, to, to serve them, what it ends up happening is at some point they wanna know, what's the deal? What are you doing this for? What's the reason and the purpose why you're loving me so much? And it gives us the perfect opportunity to say, let me tell you about somebody that's completely transforming my life. Let me tell you about a God who loves you and who died for you and has come to set you free. And we get an opportunity to share our story. See, every single one of us, if we've put our faith and trust in Jesus, we have an incredible story to share. Some of us, we devalue our stories because we grew up in church, or because it doesn't sound all that impressive or whatever. But what we've got to understand is every single life that has been transformed by the power of God is a supernatural transformation. It is significant, and we've got to tell those stories. So if you've been set free by the grace and love of Jesus, you've got a story to share. And it's not a story about you. It's a story about God through you. It's about what God can do through any life. No matter how far, no matter how broken, no matter how messed up it is, God has come to offer redemption. I believe that the greatest evidence that God exists is a changed life. And they can knock your belief system or 
they can knock certain things about, I don't believe this, or I don't believe that, or whatever. But they can't argue with a changed life. If they're looking, if we've been transformed and we're different than who we once were, then they can't, nobody can argue with that. And we can point the finger at Jesus and say, he's the only one that has done this for me. Psalm 107, 1 and 2, here's what David said. He says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others that he has redeemed you from your enemies. God uses rescued people to rescue people. And I believe, as we said all series long, that we are on the verge of a movement of God. We're praying for it, we're believing it, we're asking in faith that God would do it, and we're praying that God would start it in us. And what God is saying is, hey, if I'm gonna start it in you, then you've gotta start telling those people your story. You've gotta start letting other people know. Don't shy away, don't be embarrassed. Show the courage and the guts to say, let me tell you about the incredible God that is transforming my life. Because here's the thing, guys, there are too many people in this country or in this community that are living in darkness. There are too many people that we rub shoulders with every single day that either we can go, ah, you know what, I'm just kind of indifferent to it or I don't really wanna upset them or I don't wanna really share my story because I don't really know what I would say but rather we man up or we woman up and we say, let me tell you about an incredible God who can completely transform you because he's done that in me. And what God is saying is I've called you, I've anointed you, I've given you the words to say, I've given you everything that you need. What you've gotta do is speak out. Don't shy away, don't be embarrassed. I have called you and I'm gonna go with you and I'm gonna be for you. All you've got to do is speak out. And quite honestly, a movement of God depends on us being willing to speak out. We can gather in our holy huddle every single week and we can sing songs about God's amazing grace and how he's transforming us, but if it never leaves the walls of this room and we never take that message into our school or into our family or anywhere else that we go, then I I doubt that we really believe it like God wants us to believe it. If God is really transforming our life, then we can't help but speak out. God uses rescued people to rescue people. God is calling you and me as followers of him to go into the darkest parts of this community and to love people like he loves people so that they can experience the grace and the love that he offers them. And when we're willing to do that, and when we see that take place, the movement begins. The movement takes place all around us. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for the the students who are bold enough to say, hey, that's me. I wanna put my faith and trust in you. God, if they made that decision, over the last few minutes, God, I pray that you'd help them to understand more about that, what that means. God, thank you that you have come to rescue us, and not just so that we could be rescued and that be the end of it,
but that so you could go and use us to help rescue others. God, I pray that that would be something that marks this room. We are rescued people who go and rescue people. God, thank you for what you've done for us. We love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.